Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening, Fermentable Planet Earth. How you doing? Welcome to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Chris Kuzmi, tonight. Uh, my co- my constituent, Mary Izette, is unavailable to be here. She is in Las Vegas, and we do miss her dearly. Ferment About It is a podcast on all things fermentable with a particular focus on libations and beer. Today, we have a very special uh, episode. Uh, we are going to talk a little recap on... This weekend's activity, which was Homebrew Alley, and in the studio we have Kyler Surface. Yo, yo, yo. How you doing, Kyler? I'm doing great. How you feeling? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Uh, because we were given the medium to uh, have this show, I'm actually going to do a bunch of shout-outs uh, in honor of Homebrew Alley. Uh, Homebrew Alley, this was our seventh year doing it. Uh, we started with 220 entries, I think, in our first year, and this year we had 770 entries that showed 820 that that uh that registered and there we had this crazy storm that got in the way of uh you know getting it all done in a really timely fashion but we did it it was an incredible weekend and a very busy one uh special thanks goes out to all the judges all the stewards all the volunteer help uh, in particular david witzel john nagley mary Izette, um patrick doniger and roz doniger for for uh the space at alewife uh and to six point uh brewing company uh and pete dixon for doing the brewer's choice award uh, this year was a crazy, crazy upset. This is actually the first year, and I think the first homebrew competition that I know of, where all the best of show winners were gluten free. It's crazy. <laughs> so, who were the winners? The winners. We actually did have an honorable mention, uh, which was Jeff Jeff Quinn with his classic Rock Bear, not gluten free, but uh, but he actually was also the Brewers Choice Award. So, expect to see his classic Rock Bear brewed at Six Point Brewery, and it will be available locally. Uh, in the coming months. Uh, and then third place, best of show, went to Brian Kulbaki uh, for a gluten-free pale ale sorghum beer. It was crazy delicious. It was very good. And surprisingly, nobody missed the malt. It was it was awesome. Uh, and uh, he actually gets a little little uh, unexpected Brewer's Choice Award because I need to make a, a, a sorghum beer over at 508 Gastro Brewery, and I've invited him to come brew with me for that. I've never made one, and I look forward to uh, consulting with him and making that happen. In second place, Haley Jensen and Stephen Durley with their standard cider and perry. Um, uh, in the set, it, That was awesome as well. Holy crap. Amazing. Amazing, amazing stuff. But the best of show, this is a crazy upset. Crazy, crazy upset was a mead made by uh, Robert Slanzi, Bobby Honeybee we call him, and he made a, a, uh, ch- he made a pepper mead, a ghost pepper mead that was just perfectly balanced, really, really crazy, nice. Isn't that that like super spicy pepper? It's pretty much the hottest pepper the you hottest can get so, so far as I know. And there might be it, one other contender. He put it in a very small dose and then actually blended it with another natural mead to get it to the right volume of where he thought it was right. And boy, was he right about that. That's kind of it's kind of badass. Have it's you ever made sweet. a beer with pepper? I have not. I should. 
Now I should uh, start making put some ghost peppers in Putting there. Put some ghost peppers in there. Man, <laughs> it seems to crazy. be the key. <laughs> there's a there's a ghost is it ghost killer? Uh, there's a commercial ghost beer out face there. Killer. Ghost face killer. Have you tried that one? I haven't. I haven't yet either. I'm, I'm a kind of a wussy when it comes to that. I mean, I like my spice, but I like my flavor from 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 those peppers yeah. too. And I think that's one thing I can say about this beer. You had the flavor of those ghost pepper without it, you know, beating you over the head. Although it snuck up on you, it was nice. <laughs> um, but also big 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 thanks go to all our sponsors especially brooklyn homebrew um who uh was was uh gave us the space to have be our mail-in location so they had tons and tons of boxes that i had the pleasure of driving from from them to alewife um, but also the brooklyn kitchen bitter and esters um and there's a lot a lot of places that I, I, I just can't list off at the moment. Um, I mean, I have it in front of me. Heartland Brewery, uh, Moonlight Meadery, Keystone Homebrew Supply, Beer Necessities, Brew Shop at Cornell, Maltose Express, Carps Homebrew Supply, Jimmy's and 43, White Labs, Y Yeast, Shelton Brothers, Brooklyn Brewery, Barcage, Maltz, Double Windsor, 508, Idle, Idle Hands, uh, Queen's Kickshaw, Waterfront Ale House, Whole Foods Beer, Bar Great Harry, Stag's Head, Sycamore Browery Lane, Urban Oyster, Pacific Standard, uh, and, and uh, several others. Uh, Hearth Terroir. Uh, and a couple others. Did you, did you get them all? I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I did, but I got most of them, I think. But please, if you have, if you're in the New York City area and you're listening, uh, please, please, uh, you know, go to these places and support them. They support craft beer and the homebrewing community all year round, and they are awesome people, awesome folk, and do lots for the community and help this fight. Um, yeah, support your local homebrew shop. Absolutely. Definitely. You uh, used to work at a homebrew shop. Do you still? I guess I'm uh, on a little bit of a hiatus. I just had a a, a kid recently, Con- Aria. Congratulations! Thank you. Uh, she's healthy and uh, a little cutie, growing like a weed. But um, so I'm on hiatus, but I'm still teaching some classes at Brooklyn Homebrew. That's fantastic. Um, what yeah, classes are you teaching there? Uh, I just wrapped up some uh, beginner um, beginner classes and all grain advanced classes. Those are two like main classes, um, and then we're we're having a meeting this week actually to get some new classes in the works we've had with some feedback from some customers and and people who have attended the classes they want to do some off the wall things like rest not off the wall but recipe formulation we're going to do an yeah. ipa class possibly we're going to do a little bit more in-depth yeast class mm-hmm. um so be on the lookout for that it's going to be dope it's going to be a lot of fun that's exciting and i strongly urge everybody in the neighborhood to to check those out and all the homebrew actually all the local homebrew shops are, are doing their you know they're all offering classes and things like it and mm-hmm. in different mm-hmm. ways and different forms. It's, mm-hmm. And it's pretty awesome that the education is out there and available and, and uh, they're all doing wonderful things. Definitely. Um, but I called you here for several reasons, Kyler. <laughs> You're one of our favorite local brewers. Actually, last night at the end of when, when Homebrew Alley was all said and done and there were all the second bottles downstairs, um, we were kind of like, you know, and finally it's over. Let's have some beers and enjoy ourselves. And we had all these second beers uh, to to enjoy and we actually sought you out by name just because you know you're you're among the the revered oh yeah yeah i hope i didn't disappoint <laughs> no they were good absolutely not <laughs> it was great and you actually came home with a blue ribbon as well i did what yeah. did you what, what category did you win? uh i believe the category i don't know if it's out my head but it's box um it's like dark lager it was, box. It was my doppelbox yes. <laughs> but i don't know what category specifically i think they just call number it five number five the box category according to bjcp but yeah um I did a big lager run at the beginning of my brewing season, and uh, 
that one I think actually turned out best, so I'm glad that it kind of matched up, got judged well, and I feel it was awarded appropriately. I um, didn't, and sadly, I did not have the chance to taste that because your second bottle went to best of show. And, uh, you know, I, I, I saw you just point down as if you have it here. I do. I've got That's it with, I'll go ahead and... Well, why not? I'll crack it. So you also, uh, you helped us out a lot. So thank you for being one of the people that helped us with bottling uh, or organizing these bottles and stewarding. This, but you were just talking before the show. That was your first time kind of seeing what happens at one of these competitions. What was it like? What, you know, what are, what are your take-homes? Definitely. It was, uh, man, it was a blast. It, I really had no idea what kind of organization went into that it was uh it was kind of let me grab this glass it was kind of bananas um just the so i volunteered the first night thursday and then friday and uh we were just organizing something like 17 1600 physical bottles which is an ordeal in itself to you know get them from point a to point b that was the first task then we had to set them up label them you know uh make sure we wrote down exactly whose bottle was whose into a database and that what was the guy doug dave 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 uh, witzel man that dude's a, a he's whiz, dude. amazing he's, he's amazing awesome. he's timely he's amazing he's efficient he's he's uh he's the genius he's been with home rally since the beginning and and i threw all its forms in the very beginning when people registered for home rally they actually sent an email and he would copy and paste from the email into his database now he he organized uh, on the website a, a, just a straight up sign up so it all goes feeds to a to an excel Dude. with for 770 entries or or 820 registrants yeah it's a bet necessary it saved, element saved a, a boatload of time oh yeah but um it still it still took a while but it was uh it was just really amazing i thought because i i've entered in uh the at least the past two homebrew alleys and and it's it's been a blast but i thought it was time that i need to kind of g- give back a little bit you well, know thank you thank you because we definitely needed you especially with the storm we uh you know, oh, we yeah. lost a lot of help uh, yeah. with that and and th- to all the people that did come thank you for weathering weathering the storm and, and the snow and making we did get things done in, in surprisingly a timely fashion yeah, for for huge, what was going on and, huge uh, turnout uh i was surprised to see so many people trekking in the snow i have a question did you meet your nemesis I did meet my nemesis. Right. I don't know if I should call him out, call him out on air. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's a, it's a, there's a going. There's an online or there's a there's a running joke that uh, the best of show for two, <laughs> uh, two years in a row was uh, Ben Maiso mm-hmm. uh, for for uh, what was it? A standard American lager. I had a standard American lager last year that won second place, best in show, and then he had a German Pilsner, I believe. That okay. oh, I'm surprised that I remember this. this is, <laughs> because, well, <laughs> you go to sleep at night. Oh, uh, that Ben Meisinger. <laughs> but no, he was a super nice dude. Uh, I think we we were both kind of waiting to meet each other because we've kind of had this like I don't want to call it a rivalry, but we're we're it's, definitely it's a, fun. It's a fun rivalry. Yeah, it's, and. Uh, we always seem to do pretty well in most competitions, and we, we both enter a lot of the New York competitions. And uh, this year, he, he sought me out and pro- came over to me and had a beer in hand for me. And I was like, wow, that's, that's why you know yeah. I kind of love the homebrew spirit. And he was just like a, a great guy. I was hoping he was a total dick, but he was <laughs> awesome. Uh, he was super nice. No, he's a great dude. And then later on in the night, uh, he brought me another, the what was it, the Frambois? Oscar Norlander's Francois yes. that yeah. like got a gold medal or did did really well. Yeah. He brought me some of that and that was just incredible. But another yeah. nice gesture by him. He got that in his cup. Was like, I'm gonna go give this to Kyler, and I was like, nice. It was really nice. That it was, was it's a cool dude. Yeah, that was a really great uh, Frambois too. They were they were that was tough. That was in the last six, I believe. And I did the, something for the very first time this time. For I actually for the best of show, I ended up uh, live streaming it yesterday, and it's actually archived um, just for a month because I didn't get the live stream you know the long live stream but if you go to livestream.com slash foment about it 
uh, you can find this. But you have to log into Livestream to, to get it. If you're curious about how a Best of Show goes, then you can find out. But how does a Best of Show go? Best of Show goes basically the first place winner in each category gets, uh, gets poured at this table. And so these judges have 27, sometimes 28 uh, beers in front of them and they start knocking them out on which are not their top three and then you get down to roughly eight beers and they're all awesome and and they're they're fighting for what would be best best uh top three and they decided to include an honorable mention um and it wasn't out of guilt uh, because there was no beer in the, in the there was no malt in the top three uh it was because they were all so good and it was such a challenging one this year uh that you know there really was a lot of really amazing beers and uh and those judges i know those judges and it, they they weren't biased they don't hate malt uh, trust me yeah they just gave you know they gave credit due where yeah where, i where think you can't credit. you really can't give them enough credit for that's it's not an easy job to pick you know the best beer or non-beer out of all of those great beers the best of the best and that, out of 770 entries is a lot yeah that's awesome and you so you just mentioned that last year you, you or your rivalry with Ben Mice. Ben Mice really loves brewing <laughs> lagers, right? That's his that's his shtick, and uh, that is something that you also excel quite well in. I think. I don't know if I, I quite excel at it. I I took it as a challenge because so so every homebrewer kind of starts off, uh, or most homebrewers I would say ninety nine percent of them start off brewing ales because they ferment at room temperature, you know, sixty to seventy degrees. So, mm-hmm. you know, we teach a beginner's class, or someone comes into the shop and doesn't know how to brew and wants to get started we'll start them with an ale because you know they just pop it in their closet you know pop it in the basement 67 degrees and and you're you're pretty much fine because the old adage i'm sure you've heard it before and a lot of people heard it is that brewers make wort and yeast make beer uh and it it is completely true so uh at ale temperatures it's pretty easy um you just have to do something to control the temperatures or or not um and you can make a pretty good beer but with lagers they're a lot tougher because um, you have to have some sort of fermentation control. Usually that means um, a fridge if you're doing a five-gallon batch or something. Um, so that's I think that's what makes it, it kind of tough. Plus they're, they're typically much cleaner than ales uh, as far as fermentation characteristics, esters, uh, things like that. So more often than not, there's not a lot to hide behind, you know, and it's simple like a Municellus, German Pilsner, which is pretty hoppy. Um, you know, a standard American lager, it's just malt, hops, um, and yeast. And so if you if you have sanitation issues, if you have uh, you don't control the yeast properly, control the temperature, fermentation temperature, it's going to show. You know, you're going to get some off flavors, uh, cidery. Um, it, can, it can turn bad. And it, that's why I think that those, those categories are the toughest uh, to do well in. Um, and that's why I kind of made it a challenge unto myself was to start brewing lagers. And lucky for me, when I moved into the apartment that I live in now, there was a full-size fridge sitting uh, in the basement that nobody had, nobody was using. Um, and I kind of surreptitiously took it over um, and, you know, plugged a temperature controller in, started taking out shelves one by one to see if uh, anyone noticed and nobody said anything. And I uh, just started putting loggers in there, and that's how it started. That's awesome. Thanks, Kyler. We're going to come back in a, just a minute and talk more specifically about your tips on lager brewing. Thanks for listening to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We miss you, Mary. Come back. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. 
Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese, made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Red Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Chris Kuzmi. Mary is not with us tonight. She is in Las Vegas having a grand old time. Uh, and I'm here in the studio with Kyler Surface, Blue Ribbon Medal winner, award winner from Homebrew Alley 7. Uh, you know, and he's our lager expert for the day. We were just talking about you know, the, how he challenged himself to make lagers, and he makes awesome lagers. But uh, when, has it always worked this great for you? No, it actually, <laughs> it, it takes a, uh, it's, there's a pretty steep learning curve. Uh, the, the fermentation profile that you, basically you can, you can make anything, uh, a lager, um, fermentation profile is kind of everything. Uh, generally, um, what I'll do if I'm doing a lager and usually I like to brew lagers, uh, this time of year when it's cold, when you got nice groundwater to chill down your wort, um, mm-hmm. pretty low, ideally I'll get the wort to around 45 degrees Fahrenheit, um, in the kettle. Before you pitch your yeast? Before I pitch my yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, usually let let it sit for about 30 minutes to let as much trub, protein, hot particles fall out, sit on the bottom, transfer over, nice clean wort. Um, depending on how light of a beer, like with the German Pils, the Helles, um, even my Kolsch sometimes, um, standard American lager, I will let uh, let the wort that's in the, the carboy and now in the fridge sit overnight and... Uh, decant a little bit more or uh, let the trub settle even more so that you get even more nice clear wort uh, and then transfer it to another vessel so you've got super clean wort going yeah. in and then you pitch your yeast um kind of the big thing is pitching a big healthy amount uh nice but even pitch. how much time does that usually take you from the end of the boil to to pitching yeast um it depends if if I'm going to be drinking the beer, sometimes I'll skip that step of, of transferring over to another carboy for cleanliness um <laughs> Uh, I would say maybe anywhere from like six to twelve hours. Sometimes, depending on uh, the groundwater temperature, I can't get it down to forty-five degrees, so I'll get it to fifty-five or sixty. Put it in the fridge, set the thermostat uh, on the fridge to drop it to forty-five, and then yeah. pitch yeast the next morning. So that kind of thing scares me a lot. Somehow, yeah. like I, you know, I'd be chopping it to bit like, oh, is something going wrong? What's in the air? What's going on? Yeah, I could. But yeah, I'm, it definitely. You have to. It's not the the best way to do it. Ideally, you'd pitch immediately, get it down to forty-five, and right. I have recently with uh that's why winter is good for you and, and yep um yeah. that's why it's i think it's the, 
the prime time to be brewing lagers. Um, but I don't want to forget oxygenation. You always got to oxygenate your wort um, before pitching the yeast. Uh, I do about 90 seconds of pure oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, use a little carbonating stone with an air 90 filter. 90 seconds for a five-gallon batch. Do you raise that if you do it more than that? Or have you been um, brewing more than that? Or you just strictly well, usually I'm doing them in six-gallon carboys, five-gallon batches. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have any larger fermenters than that. So, right. um, yeah, 90 seconds as opposed to typically i'll do like 20 or 30 seconds for my ales uh depending on what i'm making and your oxygen stone do you, it, does that go all the way down to the bottom of the do you have it, it weighted or are you just oxygenating at the top it's got it like float? pretty stiff uh tubing on it so it's yeah. kind of like a it's almost like a, a rod so you can i can put it down straight cool. to the bottom yeah. um i'm having some problems with that uh where i want to be at, or not problems but i'm just nervous because my my oxygen stone my, my tubing is not as stiff and it's kind of sticking at the top and i'm like ah, is it really oxygenating everything what's going on yeah you might have to get that checked out out. Yeah, the tubing's I not agree. so stiff. <laughs> but yeah, I need so, some tubing by Agro. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so oxygenate it and then pitch as, ideally as soon as possible because the longer you go between you know knockout in the kettle and uh, and pitching yeast, the longer you're giving uh, you know microbes, any bacteria, wild yeast, you're giving them a chance to get a foothold. You know, and if they get a large enough colony population, they can overtake your yeast, um, and that's even why it's especially important to pitch a nice healthy population of your lager yeast um yeah what i mean what would the ratio be compared to a normal ale pitch uh you know how much yeast would you put in Mm -hmm. generally um about twice as much um i usually use there's a great online calculator mr malty.com um he has a yeast Mm -hmm. pitching rate calculator that's kind of uh world-renowned brought to you by our good friend jamil zane chef there we go how you doing jamil <laughs> um and yeah so that works great uh i i personally have been using a lot of uh dry yeast just because for ease of use um because a lot of times you have to grow so much yeast you need a really huge starter and you have to do it uh you know a week or a few days in advance because you want to have that yeast settle out and then decant all that liquid because you don't want to dilute your wart right um, so I've been pretty much using the um, Saf Lager 3470 for a lot of my recent lagers. Um, I did a split batch with the S23 uh, and the 3470 with the, um, the Oct- Oktoberfest that I brewed for my daughter's birth. And they were both really good, but completely different beers. Um, yeah. And uh, and you do you dry yeast primarily uh, as a brewer? Yeah. I think, cool. I think my... The reason I did that, because when I'm doing my ales, I'm all over the board. Anytime there's a new platinum strain or private collection strain out, I get it as soon as possible, and I'm trying it just to to have something new, Um, and I always put it up on my blog or whatever, and it... With the lager thing, I think I I had failed a few times at the beginning, um, and I wanted to get my fermentation profile down, like get it how I wanted to raise because usually you drop it down to 45 uh, and then pitch your yeast at 45 let it rise to 50 degrees just on its own mm-hmm. and then over the course of about a week or so usually five to seven days I'll increase it uh, one degree at a time to get up to 55 degrees increase up 50 mm-hmm. like every day just uh, just change that you have it so you have a digital uh, controller for your for your extra freezer yeah I have a little it's just a little digital thermostat. <laughs> um, there are two companies that make really good ones uh, Johnson uh Johnson Controls and Ranko. Um, mm-hmm. I have a Ranko and it just has a little probe. Basically, you plug the fridge into the Ranko and then the Ranko into the outlet in the wall. And then the probe attaches either. Um, I have a thermo well where you put the probe directly into the actual carboy oh, wow. via a yeah. metal tube. Yep. Um, or sometimes I'll just tape it uh, to the side. And it, I, I ran a test to see if there was any difference, and usually there's like one degree difference. 
Um, so it's so not you can account for that if you, yeah, as long as you know that that's what's going on. Yeah, bump it down like a degree or so if you're taping it to the side. How important is the single degree thing when brewing lagers? Because we're not dealing with as many esters, and I'm actually tasting your beer right now, and it's awesome. It's this is a really good Doppelbach, and one of the thing about lager yeast is that that doesn't have it doesn't bring you the esters that ale yeast will do. Mm-hmm. You're going to pretty much taste the malt, and that's exactly what this this beer is doing. There's nothing, you know, the, I'm not getting any of the esters or fruity things that you would normally get from the yeast characteristic lager lager yeast strains ferment very cleanly, and uh, I really taste, you know, what the 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 background of this bear like what you know what you put into it yeah that's the i think that's the i want to say the fun part for me and the challenging part is to br- bring those malt flavors out and sometimes those hop flavors like in the german pilsner that i have um and yeah it is generally a pretty subdued uh fermentation character although there is there are some things like sulfur and a little bit of minerality and some acidity sometimes um does that come out with lagering lagering means to cold store right? it does so yeah and it, yeah, it does, but sometimes there'll still be. Um, if you taste uh, like myself, and I'm sure you've tasted a lot of homebrewed lagers, sometimes you mm-hmm. you will come across an example that has some sulfur still in it. Usually, it's yeah. from not enough vigorous fermentation because um, the sulfur will, will blow off, and that's kind of the uh, one of the I want to say the bad the misconceptions about brewing is that usually uh, or, or people say oh, I don't want, I don't want you brewing in my house in my apartment it, it smells bad right. that's one of the few times it does actually smell bad is when you get that sulfur rotten egg right. burning match smell and that's going to come from the fermenter from the fermenter, from the fermenter. Uh, but usually if you're lagering or you're doing cold storage or cold fermentation it's going to be in a fridge so you don't smell it till you pop it open so right. you know so with that with that it, say you lager something for a long time if it's a if 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 you keg it early, mm-hmm. that sulfur will still stay in there, right? Yeah, but you can actually... There are ways to... If you're kegging, you're lucky because there are ways to use CO2 to blow off that sulfur. You just kind of shake it up a little, knock some of that CO2 out of solution, um, and just purge the purge the tank, and it usually blows off sulfur. You'll smell it. You'll smell it right away, kind of that rotten egg yeah. smell, fart smell. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it'll usually dissipate. Um, you, you may, on occasion, have to let it warm up to do that to get all the CO2 out. Um, that's good to know. I mean, I have not brewed a lager yet, uh, you know, so wow. and I've, but I'm, I'm excited to try it. I'm inspired by all this to do. But part of it is because, um, you know, lagering takes a lot of time, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I like to drink fast. That's true. <laughs> and there are other people like you that make great lagers, and uh, so it's good to have friends in high places. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I will say that one of my... Uh, one of my secrets, uh, and maybe I shouldn't be telling everyone this because it kind of goes against the the purest. Uh, no, it's fine. We love shortcuts over here. <laughs> is that I actually filter most of my lagers and even some of my my ales just because the lager strains are so such low flocculators that they take forever to fall out of suspension, even right. at cold temperatures. Which um, is another reason why people lager because mm-hmm. the the cold storage will let that all that yeast and suspension drop out. So mm-hmm. the longer you lager, the clearer and brighter your beer is gonna gonna be. And the same thing goes with ales. Exactly. And in my experience now, I I wouldn't say I'm an expert lager brewer, but at a certain point, you've got most of the the lager... the lager process uh, complete like you've done the the cells that are falling the yeast that are falling are pretty much done with their lagering phase they're just still dropping uh and they're just slow to do it so you can knock them out with the filter and and get a nice clean beer like this doppelbach was filtered the pills was filtered the rock beer was filtered all of them plus it gives you super clear beer yeah. uh in the keg and so i can have a, a a beer in the um 
in the fermenter in the morning, uh, filter it the same day. Uh, if it's super clear, it, it has to be mostly clear to filter it because otherwise it'll clog the filter. Uh, filter it, get it into a keg, and then put like 30 psi of pressure on it. Rock it for about five minutes. Keep putting 30 psi, and I've got like a, a ready to go beer like right away. That's awesome. And it's it's yeah. kind of nuts. It, it's a really good feeling to be like just pouring a beer after like after a hard day's work kind of. Yeah. Uh, and I lagered all of these beers for. Do you ever use any other clarifying agents in your lagers, such as Biofine or, or the like? Or I, I tried gelatin uh, with a Kolsch that I did before because uh, I was trying to rush it, uh, which usually happens with homebrewers, and uh, it just didn't work how I wanted it to, so I uh, I ended up just waiting on it. Yeah. <laughs> Used a different beer uh, for the event that it was for. The last two weeks we talked about uh, off flavors here, and uh, there's one that's particularly prone to for lagers, and that's diacetyl, mm-hmm. right? And so part of the process is also to a diacetyl rest. And at what stage do you do a diacetyl rest? And so we're, so we're, we're at the next part where you, you ramped up to 55 degrees mm-hmm. over a week's time. Mm-hmm. This is all after the primary fermentation or just after you pitched at 40? Yep, so I pitch it, pitch it 45, let it rise up to 50 um, over a, a couple days. Um, so this is So I'm rising up to about... Uh, 55 degrees after um, probably 10 days or so, sometimes up to 14 days, depending like with the Doppelbach, it's a big beer, there's a lot of fermentables in there to chew through. Uh, after about two weeks, two and a half weeks, then I'll either pull it out of the fridge or depending on the basement temperature or uh, raise the temperature controller up to like 60, between 60 and 65. Um, depends on what else I have going. Usually I'm cramming a bunch of stuff in there and fermenting all at the same time. <laughs> right. Like trying to ferment an ale with the lager at right. a diacetyl rest. <laughs> Just trying as, to get it there, like maximizing. Yeah, know, as any homebrewer will do. Brewing, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, diacetyl rest is super important to knock out all that, uh, make sure the yeast uh, eat up all the diacetyl that they've produced, um, and they'll they'll drop out with it. Um you just yeah. need a few days like that, right? Yeah. And then, then you crash it again immediately um, after that part, too. Mm-hmm. 24 to 48 hours, and then I crash it. The big thing is I learned is that you cannot uh, – I haven't had good luck crashing immediately, setting the thermostat to 28 degrees or 30 degrees and just dropping it all at once. Usually you want to do them in increments of, like, 3 to 5 degrees per day. Wow, okay. Because the yeast will – they're pretty fickle creatures, and they'll get upset. And if yeah. you drop them out too quick, they'll leave behind off flavors and – You'll have a problem. That is great to know, actually. That's so pretty awesome. Another man. tip. Another tip, by Kyler. The service. more you know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, wow, I had one more question that I, I, I've just forgotten what it is. I think we it were going to talk about uh, Icebach, possibly. Icebach, but we got one minute to do it. So yeah, um, I'm thinking about turning this the rest of this Doppelbach that I have into an Icebach, which is an even. So this is about seven percent uh, big malty, seven and a half percent big malty lager. You can freeze part of it pull out the ice chunks and essentially distill it it's illegal and i'm i won't i won't do it with quotation marks i will not do it uh in my home <laughs> um but so you can get a super big uh malty you're basically basically distilling the flavor into like a really concentrated kind of syrupy uh liquid and super intense um maybe next time i see you i'll, I'll give you an example of that but it's, it's pretty uh, that which you have not done in your home and i will not do yeah, right none of us would <laughs> but uh yeah, it's a it's a crazy process, and if you see uh, any commercial examples of it, you should grab it because it's kind of a, a crazy. It's fascinating. Concept. Yeah, I mean, you, you, know, basically, you 
it's distilling. That's an ice. It's a you know province distilling. And just a quick tip: if you ever were to try doing this at home, uh, you could freeze it in a uh, bottling bucket and with the spigot on the bottom. This way, the ice actually is going to rise to the top, and you'll have the liquid underneath. But just make sure that your spigot down there is is sanitized and empty. Otherwise, it will freeze and be clogged when you try and get that out. Not that I know if this. You or anything. If you were to do, do this at all, <laughs> anyway. Much love. Thank you, Kyler, for joining us today. You're awesome, and I look forward to many more beers with you. Thanks for listening to Ferment About It uh, on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks to our producer, Jack Inslee. Thank you to everybody who contributed at Homebrew Alley. Thanks to all the winners, the judges, the stewards. Thanks to Joe Galarraga there in the studio. You the man. And we'll catch you next week. Much love. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.